Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of June 14, 2015. The ACB Facebook page just keeps on growing. This past week, the number of people who like the page has topped the 1,300 mark. Check out the ACB Facebook page by visiting www.facebook.com slash American Council of the Blind official. Be sure to like the page and remember to share our posts with all of your Facebook friends as well. KCB's walk team, the Kentucky E-Racers, has two new members. Rick Bogus from Owensboro is the team captain for our Savvy Chapter, and Shirley Stivers from Bellevue has joined the team as well. Wendy Stepro from Southern Indiana and Louise Nichols from Owensboro have donated to the Kentucky E-Racers. Remember that when you contribute to the E-Racers, you are helping KCB, ACB, and KCB's local chapters. Contributions and team registrations can be paid by check or credit card. For more information, give us a call at 502-895-4598 or visit our team page at http colon slash slash acb dot donor pages d o n o r p a g e s dot com slash acb memorial m e m o r i a l walk two thousand fifteen slash erasers e r a c e r s and thanks in advance for your support. There's a new law in Hawaii that has many people very excited. The following announcement comes from the ACB Audio Description Project. Hawaii is set to mandate description for movies. On May 6, Hawaii Governor David Ige signed House Bill 1272, requiring audio description and captioning to be available in movie theaters when provided by the film distributor beginning January 1, 2016. Quote, Every motion picture theater that has more than two facilities in the state to which the general public is invited shall provide closed movie captioning and descriptive narration upon request during at least two showings per week of each motion picture that is offered for viewing at the motion picture theater, provided that this subsection shall not apply when a motion picture is offered for viewing at the motion picture theater for less than one week. And another note on audio description. Go no further than ACB's audio description project page to order any and all DVDs that exist in this country with description. ACB gets a small fee for any DVD or any other product you purchase from Amazon through the ADP website. Just go to www.acb.org/adp and click on DVD. 
Some of you may also be interested in a webinar that's coming up concerning the ADA and its 25th anniversary. Registration is open for a July 9 webinar. entitled ADA 25, Leading Corporate Voices on the Value of Disability Inclusion. This is a big old long. Join the Employer TA Center on July 9 from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time for a webinar about the ADA and inclusion. Let's see. Let's see. We're going to start this over. Some of you may also be interested in the following webinar. Join the Employer TA Center on July 9 from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time for a webinar titled Celebrating 25 Years of the ADA, Leading Corporate Voices on the Value of Disability Inclusion. Today, disability inclusion is something companies can and must consciously choose. That's because we've reached, to borrow from author Malcolm Gladwell, the, quote, tipping point. What started as a policy-driven issue stemming from legislation, most notably the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, but also the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 as amended, has now become a market-driven issue, or really a market-driven imperative. Smart companies know that people with disabilities represent a growing market, and, as with any customer segment, one of the best ways to tap into it is to ensure it is represented in the workforce. In this webinar, participants will learn how companies recognized as top employers for people with disabilities actively work to align disability inclusion with their corporate goals and use it to strengthen their brand, both internally and externally. They will also learn strategies federal contractors covered by Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act are using to actively foster an environment in which people feel safe to self-identify as people with disabilities and succeed and thrive on the job. Panelists include Darren Bates, Moderator, National Project Director for the National Employer Policy Research and Technical Assistance Center for Employers on the Employment of People with Disabilities, Employer TA Center. John Kemp, President and CEO of Viscardi Center. Jill Houghton, Executive Director of the U.S. Business Leadership Network. Lori Golden, Ability Strategy Leader of EY. This seminar is approved for one hour of general recertification credit through the HR Certification Institute. Space is limited, so register today. The Employment Assistance and Resource Network, 
E-A-R-N, is a resource for employers seeking to recruit, hire, retain, and advance qualified employees with disabilities. It is a service of the National Employer Policy Research and Technical Assistance Center for Employers on the Employment of People with Disabilities, Employer TA Center, which is funded by the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy under a cooperative agreement with the Viscardi Center. For more information, visit askearn.org. It seems there's always a disaster, either natural or man-made, going on somewhere throughout the country. We are certainly in the midst of tornado season. There's been a lot of flooding this spring, and hurricane season is coming up. On page 2, we bring you information not from FEMA, but from the Small Business Administration about disaster assistance available not only to small businesses, but also to individuals who rent or own their own homes. This program is operated through the Small Business Administration, and we think that you will find it an interesting and additional resource to FEMA resources. Eric Bridges, the ACB Director of External Relations and Policy, pays us a visit on page 3. Eric is asking for our help in gathering information about traveling by Greyhound within the last two years. We caught up with Eric at home on Saturday morning. You'll hear 10-month-old Tyler Bridges expressing his opinions in the background during the interview. There was a little excitement around here this past week. Steve Bashir, Kentucky's governor, decided to pay a visit to the Kentucky School for the Blind and to have a press conference there. We explain more on page 4. And on page 5 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. We often experience disasters in both summer and winter. In wintertime, it's snow and ice. In summer, it's thunderstorms and tornadoes. And if you live in the right place, you might even be lucky enough to have a hurricane. And with that can come some pretty major damage sometimes. With me on the phone today is Yvette Jeffrey. She is a public affairs specialist with the Small Business Administration and she's going to be talking to us about some of the programs that SBA has available for uh, relief from disasters. So welcome Yvette. Uh, thank you Carla. First let me tell you what we what we do at the Small Business Administration. First of all, we want to make sure that everyone understands that we do help businesses of all sizes. But right. in a time of a presidential disaster, which is when the president declares a particular area or counties for federal assistance and they activate our FEMA partners, uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency comes in and they offer assistance to homeowners, renters. The SBA partners with them and offers um, assistance to, uh, in the form of low interest rate loans to small businesses of all sizes, private nonprofits, homeowners, and renters for their uninsured losses. Okay, so let me ask you. We we normally think of of the Small Business Administration as working um, solely with businesses or people trying to go, go into business. So this program actually touches people on all levels, right? Right down to the person who's maybe renting a house or renting an apartment. Absolutely, for homeowners who are homeowners and renters who are not our um, the Small Business Administration Disaster Assistance 
offers assistance to them, to homeowners and mm-hmm. renters, during these presidential declarations. Okay. And that includes the coverage of their home, any structural damage to the house itself, and their personal property. And their personal property will be, of course, the furniture that they may have lost. There may be some for de- debris removal. There may be something fixed the fence. So those are structural. Uh, personal property would include furniture and your automobile if it was damaged during or impacted during one of these disasters. Mm-hmm. Okay. For renters, of course, it would just be their personal property and, mm-hmm. of course, their automobile if it was impacted. Um, and in, that's offered in low-interest rate loans for homeowners for their structural damage, up to $200,000 they can borrow, for personal property up to $40,000. And then for renters, of course, eligible for personal property up to $40,000. And I saw in your material that that sometimes those loans can, can go out as long as 30 years. So depending on the situation uh, and the, the person's financial uh, situation, they, it appears that the ability to repay um, is taken into consideration when, when approving those kinds of assistance. Absolutely. Our program is, is, is to help homeowners overcome um, this devastation that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. We do not want to add an additional burden, so we do work with the homeowners to make these loans um, for as long as they need, but it is up to 30 years, mm-hmm. uh, their payments, just so that they're not experiencing an additional hardship on top of the fact that they've had all this loss. Tell us how people go about, how, how first of all, do you know whether you're eligible for these kinds of things? First, you would, you would um, the newspaper, your radio, and your television are going to announce that this type of declaration is available, mm-hmm. and it will activate the Federal Emergency Management Agency. With that presidential declaration, SBA would partner with them to offer this assistance. We do send out press releases, so you may hear it over the radio, the television, um, but you could always visit our website at www.sba.gov and see if your particular county is designated for a declaration when there is an event, a severe storm, tornadoes, flooding, um, landslides, hurricanes. There's just a multitude of different um, reasons, incidents in which we would come in and assist. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if... I'm in business. If I run a small business, um, there's also assistance available uh, for for me if I have um, a physical damage to my business or if I have an economic loss. Uh, Absolutely. The if flood comes in and washes away everything I have to sell. If you have <laughs> lost your inventory, we uh-huh. want to see if we can help you replace that. Uh-huh. And if there's structural damage to the building, it's no longer safe and needs repairs, mm-hmm. we want to come in and assist you with that. For mm-hmm. businesses, what we have available is up to $2 million. Um, they can borrow now structural damage and, of course, the inventory, the machinery, all of that. Mm-hmm. But the other loan that we talked to, that you talked a little about was economic injury disaster loans. Mm-hmm. We know businesses take some time to recoup some of the losses that they had and it takes them some time to get back. So what these loans are specifically for is to keep those doors open, to help you to meet that debt that would be there even if the disaster didn't occur. So keep mm-hmm. your lights on, keep your payroll, those kind of issues. We want to make sure that we're, we're supporting the business till it gets back to the stability it was prior to the disaster. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So what are the steps that a person would take? And, and also tell us about timelines because uh, I'm sure that there are timelines on when the applications can be made. So, so walk us through that process. Absolutely. Once the declaration has been established, and I'm going to use Kentucky, okay, as as because um, we currently do have a declaration in Kentucky. It okay. occurred April second to the seventeenth of April. Mm-hmm. Now, and that we, was because of all the flooding, the rains, and that was severe storms, tornadoes, yes. flooding, landslides, and mudslides. Actually, was the category incident. We had we had a, a nice variety of problems there yes, within those yes. few days. Absolutely. Yes. So what, what happened was the president declared that this was a disaster area and activated federal funds. So there were 10 counties, uh, Bath, Bourbon, Carter, Elliott, Franklin, Jefferson, Lawrence, Madison, Rowan, and Scott County that were actually declared um, for assistance. Those counties severed the most impact. And so what the process is, you would first call FEMA, you register with FEMA. Once you've registered with FEMA, if the SBA um, disaster assistance would be a good fit for you, they would then refer you to the Small Business Administration. Okay. You would receive a phone call from the Small Business Administration. And what the phone call does is basically it gives you the different ways that you can apply. Mm-hmm. You can apply online, visiting our website. You could request an application over the phone, or you could visit a disaster recovery center if one is available in your county. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, and once that's done, well, let's let's go to the timeline mm-hmm. uh, for the current um, disaster declaration, the okay. one from April. What would be the di- the timeline for that for to get physical, those applications? For physical damage, it mm-hmm. would be June 30th of mm-hmm. 2015. Okay. For economic injury for businesses, it extends out further. That would be February 1st of 2016. What about for individuals? What are their time frames? It would be June 30th because it would be physical damage. Okay. All right. And, and I think one other thing we need to, to emphasize here is that These are funds, this is a program that's designed to help with with costs and and issues that are not covered by insurance. Uninsured or underinsured. Okay, right. So if if the damage is... um, it happens, and there isn't insurance to cover the the loss, or there's not enough insurance. Then um, the person would be eligible, or the business would be eligible. Correct. Okay. Can um, can you give us a, a phone number where people would begin? Oh, absolutely. You could always reach our customer service at one eight hundred six five nine two nine five five. Mm-hmm. You can inquire there whether your county was declared, whether it is eligible for this particular disaster or any disaster, um, and ask any questions. Currently, for homeowners, the interest rate is as low as one point eight one three. Oh my! Yeah, and for business, very good. <laughs> yeah, it's and for businesses as low as four percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a loan program. You do have to have creditworthiness and the ability to repay mm-hmm. the loan. And a loss of over $25,000 would require collateral. Anything under $25,000 would not require collateral for the Small Business Administration. 
Okay, and, and of course we want to emphasize this is not just for this particular Kentucky disaster. We use that for an example, and of course because Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, but any of you listening out there on ACB radio or um, through the audio now service or um, receiving the the um, the sound prints on our distribution list or downloading it from our website if you're not in Kentucky if if there are um, these if you do have a um, disaster that's under a presidential proclamation um, in your area this could apply to you too because this is a nationwide uh, program. Absolutely. Anyone who is in a declared, a presidentially declared disaster area mm-hmm. may be eligible to apply for the Small Business Administration. Right. By calling our 800-659-2955 number, mm-hmm. you can inquire if you currently are under, currently Kentucky is under a presidential declaration, and that's the example I used. But right. throughout the United States, correct, we will use, it's the same program just mm-hmm. in the state that you are currently living. So you can reach out to that 800 number. It's a national call center for us, mm-hmm. and you can inquire as to if there is a declaration, what type of declaration. There are several types of declaration that the Small Business Administration does. Another would be an agency where it is a smaller declaration and only SBA is available, and it's usually requested by the governor. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. that could cover a lot of additional Right. So there are uh, there are several types of, of declarations that you may be eligible for. Um, homeowners and renters would be an agency declaration or a presidential declaration. But, mm-hmm. again, they would be activated and they would be um, advertised to local media and our website would always have by state what is available. Do you happen to have the number for FEMA where people could also call there if they need information or to begin the process? Sure. To contact FEMA, it's 1-800-621-FEMA. That's F-E-M-A. Okay. And that would be uh, 3362 on on your phone. So for the last four digits of the phone number. Well, Yvette, we really appreciate you being with us today. Um, This has been um, really informative and we appreciate all the information so um, please feel free to contact us if we can be of help in distributing further information at some point thank you so much I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners and look forward to receiving calls to see if there's something we can do to assist find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page three. We're speaking with Eric Bridges, 
about some information that he needs concerning greyhounds. And, and this ought to be of particular interest to many of us here in Kentucky because um, we certainly have some issues with greyhound and Eric's going to tell us how we might can be helpful to ACB as they move into an area of advocacy. So welcome, Eric. It's good to be back with you, Carla. I, I have to confess I'm, uh, I'm uh, looking after my son while my <laughs> wife is out of town. So if you hear any interesting noises in the background, it's, it's not me. Well? It's my 10-month-old Tyler. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's baby Bridges. Indeed, yes. <laughs> So. Yes, yeah, so obviously you're, we're doing this interview uh, on the on Saturday morning. We appreciate you doing that, and uh, um, and and Tyler's going to be helping us out here. So that's absolutely, just, absolutely. Yes, well, you're training up a new director of external relations yeah, and policy. Right. The first ever cited director of external relations and policy. So yes, and at a very young age. Indeed, yes. <laughs> All right. So, so tell us about this greyhound thing. Sure. That, that you, so you know. You know, whether it's Amtrak or Greyhound or the airlines, uh, we in the national office receive a lot of um, feedback. Much of the time, uh, it's negative feedback, right, because people are more inclined to complain (laughs) when things don't go right or they feel like they've been discriminated against or they've had a horrible customer service experience. Um, But in particular, um, we've begun to hear um, a a lot of complaints um, over the last, I would say, year or two in the office about Greyhound. And this is an issue that impacts people around the country, but um, a lot of the the complaints we've been hearing have have been coming mainly from the Midwest, uh, since Greyhound has a pretty large presence there, and there's not a lot of uh, public transit for folk to utilize, and so the uh, there was a small group of us that got together to talk about how we could best deal with this issue. Um, and what what we thought we would do is instead of just approaching Greyhound with some of the anecdotal evidence. Um, we thought that it would be a good idea to sort of survey the membership regarding their experiences with Greyhound or one of Greyhound's subsidiaries over the last two years. So we're not talking about what, you know, a, a bad experience that you had in 2000 or 2005, but, you know, really 2013 to present. Um, and these don't have to be negative experiences. Uh, <clears throat> we want to know if they are providing quality customer service and if they are providing uh, a a service that is helpful to you. So this could range from the accessibility of their website, being able to book trips, being able to uh, identify uh, trip information or travel on the website. Their customer service number, Uh, it could be the the Greyhound stations themselves and the customer service folks that you um, that you deal with there, and then as well uh, the actual physical access to the bus and the bus drivers themselves, mm-hmm. and uh, their level of mm-hmm. of competency and and uh, all of that. And so what what we're seeking is to have mm-hmm. this input 
sent to me, um, to my email address, ebridges at acb.org, by the close of business uh, June 22nd. Ah, so you're doing this pretty quickly. Yeah, the hope is that we will have a, uh, a meeting with Greyhound here in the near future. So mm-hmm. um, it, is a, it is a fervent hope, and, uh, and we'll see if we can get it done. But uh, the, the hope is that this summer there will be a, a meeting, and in that meeting we will share the feedback that we've received from members. Mm-hmm. So this is something that really people need to do in the next few days and uh, get that information to you so that you can compile it and have it ready to go for, for the meeting whenever that should happen. Exactly. Yeah. And please let me know in your message if it is okay to, to utilize your name uh, right. along with the comments. So, right. again, good or bad comments. But, um, you know, let us know, let us know what's happened. Let us and know if there's been a, a route disruption right. in your area that's been um, not helpful to you. Um, let us know, you know, if you had an exceptionally good driver that saw to it that you got the right seat and, uh, you know, exited safely, entered safely, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything in between. Mm-hmm. So good and bad, <clears throat> whether it deals with um, setting up your trip, go, actually taking the trip, talking to the customer service, trying to, to do things online. Uh, you're just interested in every aspect of the uh, customer experience with Greyhound. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's that sounds really good, and um, I certainly hope people will assist with that because um, I think Greyhound and and other uh, services, whether it be Amtrak or uh, Megabus or whatever, I think you know we all tend to complain, but we complain to each other, and and we don't especially complain to where it could be helpful to complain and this is a situation and also the same thing is true with compliments we'll tell we'll tell someone else what a um, what a great taxi ride we had or what a great uber ride we had or boy we sure had a good flight attendant but we usually don't tell the companies and and so that's just as important as as the complaints exactly no it is and um we in the we in the blind community actually I would argue we put up with uh, probably too much in the in the form of uh, poor customer service mm-hmm. and the reason why we do is just for the reason that you you, you said uh, we we talk to one another about it but we don't talk to the to the decision makers that could actually impact the quality of service in the future so um, you know being able to to have uh, the good the bad and the otherwise. Uh, with me when we have a meeting with Greyhound is all the more helpful. And and I think sometimes think people think, oh, it doesn't do any good to complain. But sometimes even just an individual person can be helpful too. Um, I had a situation, well, a situation came up, I guess it was probably about two or three months ago, um, with a and it doesn't have to be a, 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 with a driver or something, but a situation came up about two or three months ago when Uber changed their app uh, on the phone, and suddenly it went from, you know, 
<laughs> from being accessible to being pretty much inaccessible. And it actually happened while I was somewhere and expected to get an Uber home. <laughs> and when I got ready to get my ride home, I couldn't access the app. Well, well so, you know, obviously I just did an alternative. But um, I wrote their customer service. And I said, you know, this has happened, and this is not just me. We know it's not my iPhone. A lot of my friends can't access it either. And, you know, it, they, it took them a few weeks, a couple of weeks, three weeks to fix it. But they had a person from their um, tech team contact me within a couple of days. And I thought that was pretty responsive, you know. Um, and, and I think sometimes we, we don't let people know we don't use those customer support links and phone numbers and things to let people know sometimes too it's just not effective and so a group effort like you're doing right now is really really important and yeah. that it's and important for us to talk to you and let exactly. you know and this, yeah. and this is a part of what ACB can do for its members that's right um, you that's know right. this is a, a vital part of of us as an organization on the national level absolutely take um, members um, issues to uh, the organizations to the companies that, mm -hmm. that they've been impacted by and mm -hmm. and uh, seeking to have uh, the situation change uh, change for the better and so well this, you you this do a you do a terrific job of working with corporate America to to get things done and um, of course, you could probably have uh, every day be three times as long as it is and, and not say, oh, I've done everything. But um, you, you, this, I hope people will really uh, participate with this because this is a really good effort. And um, uh, I'm real pleased that when I saw this message on leadership. Well, thank you so much, Eric. We appreciate it very much. And, uh, thank you. And hope to see some, some, some good results from this coming up. And you know, ever things don't happen like overnight. Uh, no, they never do. <laughs> no, no. So you know, when when just a, a word of caution to people uh, listening to this and participating, um, don't expect to talk to Eric on June 22 and have everything resolved by July 1. <laughs> That's not how it works. No. <laughs> but. Um, that you know that the, if we don't begin, we sure won't solve the problems, and and so uh, it's it's going to take a little bit, but um, we have confidence in you, Eric. <laughs> so. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, and and thanks to Tyler for helping too. Sure. <laughs> All right. Pretty good through this. He, he, you know what? For a ten month old, he's great. The Kentucky Council of the Blind and its chapters provide information, advocacy, activities, and telephone support for people who are blind or visually impaired. Join our email list, visit our website, and of course, listen to Soundprints each and every week. To learn more, call us at 502-895-4598, drop us an email at kcb at igloo.com, or visit our website at kentucky-acb.org. Page four. When you get word that the governor is coming to the Kentucky School for the Blind for a press conference and you don't hear what that press conference is about, you get a little nervous. 
the governor in other states has, with the stroke of a pen, made sometimes major changes in the makeup of schools for the blind around the country. Friday morning, a week ago, on June 5th, just such information started circulating. We heard that Governor Steve Bashir was coming to the Kentucky School for the Blind on Monday, June 8th, to make a major policy statement and have a press conference. This is very much an unprecedented event. We also heard that he was going to make a similar statement on whatever topic he was going to be talking about in Lexington an hour and a half earlier, almost two hours earlier, that afternoon. Obviously, with the KSB alumni just getting underway that day, there was quite a bit of, of, of consternation and, um, and just an unsure feeling as to what was going to be happening. People were speculating a little bit, and we found out that afternoon that the uh, press conference was going to be at around 3.15 to 3.30 in the afternoon in the library at the Kentucky School for the Blind. Now, the library at the school does have an uplink to the Kentucky Education Television KET system, so uh, it could be televised from the KSB library. On Saturday at the reunion, we discussed in the business meeting some of the possibilities, and those possibilities were as follows. A, the governor could be coming down to say, I'm closing the school. That would be the worst thing that could happen, in, in our opinion. He could be coming down to do something wonderful, like say, we're going to give you $30 million to build that new dorm you need and fix the pool and do all kinds of other things. That would be great. We didn't think that was a possibility. And the third possibility that we were considering that afternoon at the alumni business meeting was that the governor could actually be coming to talk about something totally unrelated to the Kentucky School for the Blind. The next day, Sunday, after the reunion was over, another possibility kind of surfaced among some of us, and that was that perhaps he was going to come to KSB after he made whatever statement in Lexington and announced that he was going to combine the Kentucky School for the Blind and the School for the Deaf. Now, there was a lot of speculation related to that because, for those of you that aren't familiar with the two campuses, our School for the Deaf is located in Danville, which is a pretty rural, so it's a, well, it's a small town. It's a very nice small town, but it doesn't have much mobility. It doesn't have public transportation systems and just several things that would not be good for teaching blind students things like orientation and mobility. The existing Kentucky School for the Blind campus here in Louisville has quite a bit of space for KSB, but because the School for the Deaf has many more students, it could not possibly have held both schools on that campus. Of course, the third possibility there was that people at the top would administer both schools and the schools would remain on separate campuses. We were a little worried about that because we had heard a rumor uh, about, oh, maybe a couple of months ago that that was, in fact, what would be happening this summer. So I think you can see why we were a bit nervous. At the alumni reunion on Saturday, we urged anybody who could come to the press conference to be there. 
regardless of what we might hear on Monday as to the topic. We felt that we should let the governor know that if he came to the Kentucky School for the Blind, that there would be a number of blind and visually impaired people who would show up and be interested in what he had to say and be concerned about what he had to say. By 11 o'clock on Monday morning, we understood that the governor was going to make a major policy statement concerning state employees, that the Lexington press conference was going to be held at the Horse Park and the Louisville press conference at the Kentucky School for the Blind. We were trying to figure out what would be the link between the Horse Park and KSB, and um, we didn't really come up with any good solutions there, uh, regardless of all of the things that we were considering. We contacted people that we knew were coming, and we said, please, you know, be there anyway, because even though this doesn't appear that it's going to affect the school, the, the makeup of the schools, uh, it's, it is still important to be seen. And I will have to say that uh, when when everybody gathered for that press conference, <clears throat> there were a number of blind people who were in attendance. Um, there were some, some people from uh, both consumer organizations and from the alumni, uh, a good representation of blind people in the audience. Also, of course, there was KSB staff and, um, and, and, the inevitable reporters, of course, who should be there for a press conference. The press conference began, and we're going to let you hear part of it. You will find that the governor did, in fact, make a uh, make a statement and signed an executive order that dealt with minimum wage paid to state employees. It can still give us a little pause uh, to wonder what might happen next. You have to remember that our governor is a lame duck governor. His term ends at the end of the year. He has served the maximum number of years that a governor in Kentucky is eligible to serve. So we will have a new governor coming in. You will hear in his statement that what he did by executive order had been considered and passed by the state House of Representatives, but had not received even a hearing of any kind in the Senate. So therefore, the governor actually uh, uh, went over the head of the legislature and uh, has done by executive order what the legislature uh, did not want to have happen. It could not get through both houses in our legislature. It does give one a little concern because a lame duck governor can do whatever he pleases. And so we will need to watch very carefully as we go through this last six months to be sure that the things that we think are in place uh, do in fact stay in place in regards to blind and visually impaired people. Another point that needs to be made, you have heard us say on Soundprints many times that our office for the blind is short of money. Uh, after the press conference was over, some of us were able to talk to the governor, shake hands. He was very personable. And I had a chance to speak with him about the funding for the Office for the Blind and point out that the, our Office for the Blind had not had enough money to pull down our federal match and actually that we needed about $400,000 more money in order to uh, be able to pull down over $1.5 million dollars. 
The governor seemed surprised by that. Uh, but in his statement, he talked about how the funding for his increase in wages for the employees was only going to come about 50% out of the state general fund. Upon returning home from the press conference, I spoke with Allison Flanagan, who is the executive director of our Office for the Blind, and she reminded me that, yes, the money for this, um, for this salary increase is coming from the uh, general fund, but that that other portion, the other $700,000 needed for that, is coming from agency budgets. And so the impression of the person listening is that only 897000 is coming from the state general fund, when in fact, all the dollars are coming from general funds. It's just that about um, a little less than half of it is actually coming from money that would be providing direct services instead. Um, that is going to affect blind people uh, in the future. It's going to affect blind people uh, in a major way come August or September, and we will be bringing you more information on that. At this time, let's listen in on Steve Bashir's press conference. And uh, I will tell you that this is a recording that was made by uh, Adam Rushevel on his book port, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, there was about another 15 minutes of question and answer time uh, and um, a few other comments that we don't have time to include here. But uh, we are going to play for you the substance of that press conference. We, um, we hope you enjoy listening to it. In America, we live according to an unspoken promise. If you work hard and play by the rules, you'll get ahead. What this means is not only will you be able to support your family with food on the table, a roof over your head, and adequate health care, but also, little by little, you will create a higher quality of life for your children, for your family. Now that fundamental promise is inspiring and reassuring, but unfortunately for a lot of people, it's also a false promise because their reality is different. Instead of getting ahead, they are slowly falling farther behind. For them, an unspoken promise remains unfulfilled because too many jobs at the lower end of the economic ladder in the United States simply do not pay enough to cover basic essentials like food, shelter, clothes, and health care, much less luxuries or a better life. The current minimum wage in this country of $7.25 an hour, no matter what measure you use, is simply not enough to support a family. So we need to change that reality. We need to restore that unspoken promise by raising the minimum wage in America. remains hopelessly gridlocked, so we in Kentucky can no longer sit on the sidelines. Earlier this year, in the 2015 session of the Kentucky General Assembly, a proposal to raise the minimum wage passed the Kentucky House, but it came to a screeching halt in the Kentucky Senate. In fact, it didn't even get a hearing. Now, that legislation, I am sure, will be back in the next session, and I hope it passes. 
And these folks standing behind me are going to work real hard to make sure that it has every chance of passing. And I'd like for you all to give your governor at that time. And the outcome of that effort will be beyond my control. However, I'm still governor right now. And I can take steps right now to move Kentucky close to this needed change. And that's exactly what I'm doing today. In a moment, I will be ceremonially signing an executive order that I officially signed this morning. It makes changes that enable state government, as Kentucky's largest employer, take the lead in setting a, a living wage for its people. The first change in my executive order has three parts. One, it will raise the pay of every state worker effective July 1 of this year to at least $10.10 an hour. Believe it or not, we have 510 state workers whose current pay falls below the $10.10 threshold. Two, we will also give a slight bump in pay to a category of workers whose current salary is at or just above that new threshold. They are more experienced and in some cases are supervisors. And out of fairness to them, we want to maintain a differential and compensation to acknowledge that experience and their duties. And three, for state workers who operate off of TIP income, we will raise their base hourly income from $2.19 an hour to $4.90 an hour, matching the new federal rate. This affects 112 of the 510 workers. All told, this executive order will affect 779 state workers at current hiring levels. The estimated annual cost is a little less than $1.58 million, of which less than $800,000 will come from the general fund. Now, a second big change in the executive order applies to the private sector. It will require private companies with state service contracts to pay a minimum wage of $10.10 an hour to those of their employees who perform work on or in connection with those state contracts. We will apply this requirement to new contracts and to existing contracts as they come up for renewal. Now, who are these state workers? Of the 510 employees who currently make less than $10.10 an hour, more than a third of them work for the Kentucky Department of Veterans Affairs, caring for our veterans. The next largest category, almost 20% of the total, work in behavioral health, again, taking care of people. Others work right here at the Kentucky School for the Blind, taking care of people. Other significant totals include workers at our state parks and at natural resources. The irony here, and it's an appalling irony, is that the people we have tasked with the difficult job of caring for our most vulnerable populations are paid so little that they too are vulnerable, at least when it comes to financial security. Folks, 
That is just unacceptable. Page 5, The Sound Prince Calendar. Unless otherwise indicated, you can join conference calls listed on this calendar by dialing 605-475-6006 and entering code 294444. Most in-person activities sponsored by the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind are held at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Help GLCB with planning its activities by signing up in advance. Call 502-895-4598 to register for Greater Louisville events. Bluegrass Council of the Blind events are held at the BCB office unless otherwise indicated. The office is located at 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1230 in Lexington. Register for BCB events and activities by calling 859-259-1834. The Bluegrass Council Assistive Technology demonstrations and training take place each Friday morning at the BCB Lexington office. Don't just drop in for tech training. Call ahead to make an appointment. On June 20 and July 18, the American Printing House for the Blind will hold Braille workshops for young people. From 10.30 to 12.30, the workshops include Braille basics and practice for writing on a Braille slate and a Braille writer. Advanced students learn about Braille contractions, whole word signs, and more. Attend one or both sessions. This is best for children 8 to 14. It's free, but registration is required. Call the APH Printing House Museum at 502-899-2213. On June 20, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a dine-out from 3.30 to 6 p.m. at Rockies in southern Indiana. Call 502-895-4598 for more information and to make reservations. June 21, the Kentucky School for the Blind alumni will hold its regular June meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line. June 22, guide dog users of Kentucky hold a membership meeting at 7 p.m. on the conference line. June 24, Bluegrass Council of the Blind VIP meeting will be held from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office. The Meeting includes lunch and a program on home health assistance. RSVP is required. Call Bluegrass Council for more information. June 26, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its education and technology activities. 3.30 to 6 p.m. is education and technology. 6.15 is dinner, $5 per person. 7 to 10 p.m. is Games and Crafts. Be sure to call ahead to sign up. On June 27, July 25, and August 22, the American Printing House for the Blind will hold its Summer Film Festival from 12.30 to 3 p.m. These films this summer will be documentaries about blindness, followed by moderated discussion. These activities are free, but registration is required. Appropriate for older children and adults. Register by calling 502-899-2213.
The American Council of the Blind 54th Annual Conference and Convention is July 3-11 to in Dallas, Texas. Registration is open until June 25. Visit www.acb.org for further information and to pre-register. GLCB Fridays are canceled for July 3, 10, and 17. On July 9, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its regular July meeting at 7 p.m. Call 602-475-4700 and enter code 155-619. On July 13, the Bluegrass Council holds its community outing from 5 to 6.30 p.m. The place is to be determined. Call the Bluegrass Council for more information. On July 14, the Bluegrass Council board meets from 9 to 10.30 a.m. at their office in Lexington. Also on July 14, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, meets from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418 for more information. On July 15 and 16, Gateways to Independence Summer Institute will be held at the Kentucky School for the Blind. This is for teachers of the visually impaired. The theme is Making the Move to Unified English Braille, Principles and Practice, presented by Frances Mary DeAndrea, Ph.D., and Mary Nell McLennan, M.A. Space is limited. Register by calling 502-897-1583. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at com. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.